Happy Saturday evening, everybody. Hope everybody's excited to go to church. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading the NLT in 1 John chapter 5. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you for a wonderful Saturday, for a wonderful rest day. And uh, as we prepare to go to church tomorrow, those of us who are going, uh, please help us, Lord, to prepare ourselves now. Help us to get a good rest. Help us, Lord, to listen to the message. If we are participating in church, help us, Lord, to give everything we have. We ask you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, now as we read your word. We want to glorify you. There's a lot of turbulence in the world. We want our hearts to be soft. We want our minds to be in readiness and to be sober and vigilant. And we would like, Lord, to be able to glorify you. So give us strength now as we read your word. Thanks again, Lord, for listening to my prayer. Amen. It says in the first chapter verse, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. I guess, you know, I'm imagining this is John the Elder and, and again, he's possibly the same person who was at Patmos and again, the same person who was an apostle of Jesus. And, uh, you know, he wrote this to the people would continue to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He, he had written John to make, to get people to start believing that Jesus is the son of God. But many years have passed. And also, as he says, you know, there's a spirit of the antichrist going on. Maybe there's doubts, right? I mean, time has elapsed. He was, how old was he with, with, when he was with Jesus, 20 years old. And now he's what, 90 years old, 95 years old, a hundred years old. 70 years have gone by and Jesus has not returned. And maybe people are getting antsy and scared and worried and nervous that maybe it really wasn't true. Um, these are the things that I've heard in the past from different ministers and different sermons. So I'm just kind of, um, you know, um, repeating them now. And I would see that, you know, we're very impatient creatures. We're, we're, we want results now. Jesus said he was coming back, but 70 years have gone by. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I guess in the last three years, I'm like believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Like I'm really believing this. Like before my religion was Saturday oriented, Sabbath oriented and Bible and going to church. And I didn't mind going to church. I liked church. I liked it then. I, I did try to pray. I did I did know there was a Jesus, but now it's just now it's just believing that Jesus is the Son of God, like being able to see him in my mind. You know, at the right hand of God, it says he's praying for, for, for us. And the Spirit is also um, praying for us in groans that we cannot understand. So they are interceding for us. They are praying for us, pulling for us, hoping for us. Like I really see Jesus more clearly now. I mean, a little bit more clearly anyways. I don't want to sound arrogant, but it's just my faith is more Jesus-centric than it is um, than it is Sabbath-centric. And I guess another thing is from where I've come from, you know, I was told the commandments of God were the moral law, the, the, the Ten Commandments. And I heard that the law of God was the law of Moses. So the law of God was the 613 commandments of Moses. But then I heard, nope, the law of God 
is the Ten Commandments, which is 10. And then the 603 commandments are the civil law. And so that's a different, that's a different law. And that part has gone away. And we just worry about the moral law now. So we have to keep the Sabbath. We have to go to church on Saturday. But I think that the commandments of God, I personally believe it says the commandments of God are the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And then Leviticus 19.8, you shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that was the gospel. That was what the law and the prophets hung on. So when it says the commandments of God, it's the commandments of Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. So I don't see um, going into the church. I don't see uh, Sabbath centric. I don't see Sabbath worship as mandatory. As a Christian, you can make any day a Sabbath and you can go to church on any day you want. It seems corporately that the, the church um, arrived at Sunday because Jesus apparently rose on Sunday and somehow the tradition of the Lord's Day from Revelation 1.10 was assigned there. And I think that's okay. Before I was not cool with that, but I think it's okay now. I think that's fine because Romans 14.5.6, a man keeps a day or he doesn't keep a day, whatever his conscience is. Maybe I should just read that just to, instead of paraphrasing it and doing it wrong I should actually get that because when I read that before I was very confused now I was very confused like, why all of a sudden can you do can you keep any day that you want it sounds like an individual choice and I thought Saturday was for sure but it says here to me this is the respect chapter and it says one person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike each one must be fully convinced in his own mind and, and that's why I believe that the commandments of God in 1 John 5 are just you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's being other-centered. It's not being self-centered. It's being other-centered. There's a lot of self-centeredness on this planet right now. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of ego. And relationships don't work. You know, everybody's calling like, you know, women calling men toxic narcissists and men calling women toxic narcissists. This, this word is getting thrown around. Just, you know, uh, this word is just getting bantered around. But narcissism is somebody who's self-centered. And self-centered people, you can't really have a relationship with them. And they really cannot have a relationship with someone else. They're locked in themselves. Their own God is themselves. And three words that a narcissist would never say was, it could be my fault, or I might be wrong, or I am sorry. And that's exactly how the devil is. And that's exactly how humankind is. So loving God, obeying his commandments is other centered commandments. Verse four, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And then only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God, that's what I said in verse five. Verse six, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water, but by blood and water. And the spirit who is true confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God and God has testified about his son all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe that God has what God has testified about His Son. 
So John is very adamant to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and if you don't agree with him, he's saying that you're calling God a liar. Like these are pretty, pretty serious words here. Uh, what else did I want to say? Oh yeah, about the water. You know, when the Roman soldier pierced Jesus, blood and water came out of him, right? Because you know they say that he was, he died, uh, he died before the other two thieves. But he was dying of heart suffocation. He was dying of his circulatory system was collapsing. So he was dying of heart failure. And there's a sac around the heart, apparently the pericardium. And as he's dying and he's not able to pump blood because his circulatory system is collapsing, he's lost a lot of blood. He's very strong. He managed to carry the cross half the way. But his circulatory system is collapsing. So there's edema around his heart. So there's water around his heart because they were examining his death from a medical perspective. And they said, you know, for blood and water to come out of him, that is very consistent with the kind of death that he had. So the person who wrote that um, um, in John, who wrote blood and water, he must have been standing right there. He must have heard that. And that's obviously um, a legitimate observation of somebody dying of heart failure, of heart edema. And then it says water here and we get baptized to signify that there's been a change inside and then the spirit the spirit changes us and then the blood the blood cleanses us so it seems to it seems to match up is what i'm saying in verse in verse seven and eight i think there's been some controversy about um the verse in um first john about what should be involved i'm looking around here to see if i can f find a king james version i'll be right back I, I, I have heard people say that this passage, so I had to go find the King James, and luckily I do have a Bible here. So I want to read 1 John. I want to see if I can find it quickly. And of course, when I'm trying to find something quickly, I cannot find it, which irritates me, but I should never be irritated on a podcast. So if I can just find it, it says 1 John 5. It says, um, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Is that what it says here? Okay, so we have three witnesses. So in the, that's what it says in the, in the King James. In, in the NLT, it says, a very few late manuscripts add in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and we have three witnesses on earth. So when I first read the Bible, I read it in the King James. I read 1 John 5, 7 in the King James, where it said, These are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And then it was said that later on, uh, it was said in the ESV and later on in my life, that the 1 John 5, verse 7 in the King James is actually a later, somebody's added this, and that it that earlier manuscripts do not have this in there. And I don't know, I was very uncomfortable with taking stuff out of the Bible and saying what earlier manuscripts and what later manuscripts have and somebody added it. Like I could say that maybe God wanted that person to add it later because it was somehow forgotten, that it was something that God himself wanted us to know. And so he tapped somebody to add this. Maybe the early manuscripts all forgot it I mean, we all get nervous when we have a, a certain draft 
and then somebody adds things they start to embellish things you know we, we don't like that we we want to take the earlier manuscript or the very early manuscript um, written very close to the event as the as the gospel truth so to speak but I did remember and I did want to make a point of it that the NLT first John 5 verse 7 is shortened uh, because the first John 5 verse 7 in the King James has a longer verse but they say this longer verse is actually added later. And of course, this is supposed to be the word of God by and large. And, you know, we don't want to start adding things and saying, oh, God said this or God uh, inspired somebody to say this when it was really not the case. We would want to get all of the words and nothing more added that God inspired men to write down. But I read the King James first before I read the ESV, before I read the NLT. And these are the verses, these are the words in it. And I just don't feel comfortable saying that we about, you know, that we shouldn't read it. I just didn't feel comfortable with that. So maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but I wanted to get in that certain part um, that always seems to be omitted because of the reasons I've just stated. Where was I? Verse 9. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about His Son. Oh, yes. Verse 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. I think John is very adamant about Jesus and very adamant that Jesus is what god promised and god has said that jesus christ is the messiah that has been promised from genesis 15 the the um the eschaton the proto gospel and that he is the messiah that was promised in the garden of eden to eve and to adam verse 11 and this is what god has testified he has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have god's son does not have life I realize that there are a lot of religions in the world that don't like this, wouldn't like this to be said to them, and they don't want to hear this, and it makes people uncomfortable, and it makes people upset, and I understand. And I am a Christian, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the doorway. He is what God has provided. And I do believe that there are people in other religions, and they are going to wake up to this fact that Jesus Christ is the way to God. And in this kind of world where it's always multi, um, multi-purpose or multi-roads or all paths lead to God, I'm sure that what I've just said is kind of an inflammatory statement, and I understand that. But this is what the Bible says. I believe the Bible, and I've never had to really say this out loud to in a crowded room. Maybe one day it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to. I don't know what the reaction is going to be. Probably won't be positive, but it. But John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. That's what he says, and he means that Jesus Christ is the new covenant of between humanity and God, and he should be your Savior and nobody else. And for that reason, I left the church that I was born in with the toxic narcissist, empowered lady who said she was speaking for God. She was not... She was never my savior. I never liked her because it seemed to me that she was putting herself between me and Jesus. 
And I recognized that even when I was a very young boy. And I would say that God is the one who showed that to me. And I had to make a decision when I was 53 years old, and I did. And it didn't make people happy, and I don't care. Respectfully. Conclusion. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Verse 14. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. I know that I make my request to God in the name of Jesus, and I know my Father is hearing me. And I know my Savior is pleading for me. And I know my Savior never lies to me, never has lied to me, and never will lie to me. And he will never lie to anybody who comes to him. And he will never cast out anyone who comes to him in utter repentance. He said that, he promised that, he died, and he died to connect us to God. And even when he was dying, he said to the thief who had lived a bad life, You've, you know, the guy had obviously done things, but he forgave him. And he said, you will be with me today in paradise. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Always loving, never hating, always trying to save, always trying to connect, always trying to redeem. That is the character of our Savior. And that is the character of God, our Father. No exceptions, no argument, period, full stop. Verse 16, if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. I'm not really sure what that means. I guess maybe people mistake, make mistakes, but you should pray for them. Sometimes it's best not to offer unsolicited advice. Sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut, just pray for the person. If the person asks you for advice, you should give it to them. But if they don't ask you for advice, don't go making a, you know, don't go butting into their business. They might not appreciate what you're telling them. I mean, maybe they're doing something really bad that's taking them to the edge of their life. They're doing something dangerous. I guess you might have to step in and tell them, even though they're probably not going to like it. But maybe it, it says here, if they're doing something that is wrong or something that irks you or something that they're sinning that they shouldn't be doing, well, maybe you can pray for them that God will send his Holy Spirit on them and really kind of make them think and turn around and look at themselves. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Oh boy. So wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Satan fell, sinners fall, we are fallen beings, but it says that God is holding us. He's picking us up and he's holding us and preventing us from falling. And we don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. You know, I put together a shelf for an aquarium that I have. You know, I found the aquarium when I was walking outside. I couldn't believe it. And I had to have a shelf to put it on. And I don't know, me and shelves, it's an Ed Cell shelf. It, you know, it's like a muscle rack. I bought it at uh, Home Depot in, in near my house. And um, every shelf could take 800 pounds. So this can definitely take a 40 gallon aquarium. I don't know why it's, it's so simple. It looks simple. It should be simple. But yet getting these little slots in, I said a couple of bad words today. So maybe you shouldn't be listening to me. And I am kind of sorry about that. It was just so frustrating. I don't know why, you know, I, I'm kind of liking Home Depot. It kind of smells like wood, you know, 
I, I feel like a handyman when I walk in there, even though I really don't know too much. But uh, it's it's fun to put stuff together and it works, but it's not fun in the putting together. It's the fun after it's all done right. So don't make a practice of sinning because when you do sin and you're a Christian, you kind of feel really bad. It, it kind of hurts more and more. God's son is holding us and the evil one cannot touch them. I did apologize to, to God today. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. It's a lot of weirdness going on in the world. There's a lot of lovelessness going on in the world. There's a lot of videos on YouTube about people trying to date each other and just the lovelessness and dating is not going well. And, and um, you know, the devil is really trying to upset the apple cart, really trying to get in the way of relationships between, between you know, us and God, between man to man, man to woman, and between man and our own selves. He really is trying to get in there, get his foot in the door and just turn us against each other, really is. It, it so reminds me of that episode, I've said it before, the day of the dove, where that evil red thing came in and pitted the Federation guys against the Cleon guys and manipulated them and just fed off the negative emotions. Every time I hear people screaming at each other and saying things, I just keep thinking of Day of the Dove, Day of the Dove, Day of the Dove episode in Star Trek. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. The true God is a God of love, a God of other-centeredness, he's a God of perfection and a God of moral righteousness, a God of love and peace and control and absolute discipline. And we have to be like him. We have to be like him. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who, want, who love him to help themselves. God is the one who is helping us. We are not saved by our good works, but for good works. And our God is the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. God's love wins. And if you love God, you will win and you will have connection with God and you will feel good. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Don't let there be any idols between you and your heavenly father. He loves you too much for that and he doesn't want you to be looking at somebody else first or something else first. He wants to be first. He wants you to listen to his son first. He wants you to pray. He wants you to read his Bible so that he can give you his Holy Spirit and you can feel good. I'm all about that. God bless. See you tomorrow in church.